Well, hello there and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is your host, Laura Camacho, where we talk about the conversations you need to have, how to have them in order to accelerate your career success. We believe you should be able to reach your next goal in half the time, twice as fast by listening to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. And boy, today has been crazy. I've been coaching, coaching, coaching. And now I'm going to talk to an incredibly intense entrepreneur king, a guy who had contributed to five multi-million dollar companies before he turned 30. His name is Matthew Pollard. And we're going to get some tips about accelerating career growth selling yourself. And the thing about Matthew, he's an introvert. So those of you who are introverts, you're going to love this particular episode. I hope you love every single episode. I hope you are going to go out there and leave us a five-star review today. This episode is brought to you by the book that has answers to so many questions about how to get other people to do your will. And it's called The Practical Guide to Effective Communication. Get recognized for the value that you're already contributing. And it's got chapters on public speaking, on meetings, on emotional intelligence. There's an assessment to decide to know your communication style, which will help you communicate better. There's a section about dealing with difficult people, difficult conversations. Everything you need is in that book. So I hope you enjoy it. I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation with Matthew. He's mostly based in Austin, but I think he has multiple homes. And I'm excited that you're here. It's finally cooling down. We're into Q4. And when you're listening to this, you'll be thinking about your goals for next year and kind of the crazy economy. And I do want to ask Matthew his take on the economy And I think you're going to get some tips that are going to help you expedite your results for 2024. But without working crazy hours, without becoming a slave to your company, without sacrificing your health or your family, you know, that family is so important. There's other things to life than work. But when you know how to communicate effectively, everything works better. So I am going to bring you Matthew Polar. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you could make it and you have accomplished so much in a short amount of time. So I already told our audience, they're all taking notes unless they're driving about how to get twice the results and half the time. But tell us your story about getting involved with five multi-million dollar companies before you were 30. Like what's wrong with you? Why were you not just partying? You know, it's a great question, actually. And firstly, I'm, I'm excited to be here. So thank you for having me. I, I will say that I should probably, I'm the least likely person to be sitting here telling people how I did it. And when you said what's wrong with me, I think it was actually what was wrong with me that ended up being the thing that went right for me. So <laughs> good. it's always interesting. I, one of the things I say all the time is the adversities we face in life kind of see the success of our future. And so often, people tell themselves these why I can't stories. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. And it's really interesting. I do a lot of, you know, when I speak at emerging leaders conferences and you tell people, what is that one objective you really want to go after? That one thing you want to make a difference with, or that one promotion that would make a difference in your life. And people say, oh, this one thing. And I'm like, okay, everybody commit to let's just break that barrier. And then I'm like, great. Now let me tell you all the reasons you're not going to do it. And we talk about, you know, life getting in the way and our negative mindsets. And it's really interesting that the biggest driver for people not succeeding is actually 
themselves and how they get in their own way. And now we just finished the Introverted Seller Summit and it kind of came up that we tell ourselves 80 to 100,000 things a day, which sounds ridiculous, except for the fact that our brains speak to ourselves so fast. And yet, a lot of that stuff is repetitive. And a lot of it is that story. We're constantly telling ourselves these stories of why we can't, why we can't succeed, why we're different, why it's harder. And in my storytelling presentations, I talk about the science of how it switches off the logical mind and speaks directly to the emotional mind. So if you're speaking to your emotional mind, it's just taking all the detail as fact and going, I can't because. And I think that that was what got me to five multi-million dollar success stories. It was the fact that I was unwilling to listen to that voice. See, a lot of people that hear me speak or hear me on podcasts like this, they say, well, this is a really articulate guy, so it's obviously easy for him. Well, it wasn't. I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school. I was super introverted. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And if it wasn't for happenstance, I would not be here where I am today. And all it was was I took a job doing data entry after high school because I got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome, which basically means I actually have them on my desk. I put on this pair of funny colored lenses and miraculously I can learn to read. Not like everybody else, but I could start the process of learning. And for the last two years of high school, I hustled and I got into the top 20% of my state, but my family could see I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't sustainable. Really. Not at all. Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of leaders listening they say they want certain things, but there's no fire in their belly. And I think I would said I wanted to have a degree, but there was no fire in my belly. I wouldn't have lasted the three, four years that it would have taken. And it would have been tough for me. So I took a year to find myself. And I actually took a job at a real estate agency, which sounds ridiculous because everyone's like, oh, introverted guy out selling. Sure, not introverted. I was the guy in the back office doing data entry with a look on my face. Like, don't speak to me. I'm here to find myself. I'm sure some people listening have had kids that, that needed to do that. But About three weeks into that, I got told by my boss that the office was getting shut down. I'm out of work. Now, this is Australia at Christmas time. Nothing worse because everybody goes on holidays on the 20th of December. They don't come back till the 15th to 20th of January. Nobody is hiring. I mean, the only jobs that were in the paper were these things called commission-only sales roles. Yeah, Yeah. the whole idea of it for me was... (laughs) I put up this photo in a lot of my presentations of me at my sister's wedding with terrible acne. And I'm like, you can look, it took me a long time actually to come up with the confidence to do this. But I'm like, people need to see this so they can feel like I did struggle because I'm lucky enough the the acne passed, right? Some people, you know, they struggled with life with it. And for me, I had it right through into my mid-20s, but there was nothing I could do with that face. So I struggled even talking to people because I thought they were always judging me. Yet the only thing scarier than applying for another job at that time, especially the jobs that were available, was going home and telling my father I was out of work. Now, he broke his back 80 hours a week trying to support the family. So what I did is I, I looked at the jobs in the paper and all the jobs there, and there was only three, were commission-only sales roles. And I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. But I didn't want to go home without anything lined up. So I called all three jobs and applied begrudgingly. And they gave me three interviews and then they gave me three job offers. And I'm like, oh, hang on a second. Maybe they see something in me I don't see in myself. So I go to training. I accepted a job selling business-to-business telecommunications. And here I am thinking that I got three job offers. They must think I'm amazing. Maybe they see something in me. I just don't see it. Well, my manager put that to bed really quickly. He's like, Matt, we just hire everyone. Like, we've got a saying. We just (laughs) throw mud up against the wall and we see what sticks. (laughs) Great saying until you realize you're the mud. So five days product training, not a single second of sales training. I get thrown on this road called Sydney Road. If you can imagine 
It's like a New York City street. It just goes on and on and on. It's just retail stores. And I get told to go sell, which sounds great, except super introverted, scared of my own shadow. No one actually told me what to say when I walk in the door. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, amazing is probably not the word I would have used at that time. (laughs) I literally walked into the first door and people are going to be shocked when I say this. I was luckily politely told to leave because shortly after that, I was less politely told to leave. I was sworn at. My personal favorite though was always getting told to get a real job, right? Why don't you go get a real job? Like it was the only job I could get. Like it was horrible. And I just remember door after door that happened until my 93rd door where I made my first sale. And I remember I made, it was about $70 back then, which was a lot of money for a, you know, a 19 year old kid. But I just had this realization when I walked out, I was ecstatic for about 45 seconds. And then I'm like, I got to do this again tomorrow. And the next day and the next. And I think that a lot of leaders that are listening to this, a lot of us accept that's just the way it's going to be. I don't have that gift of gab. I don't have that ability like other people. And whether they're introverted or not, we all set ourselves these barriers. I think introverts believe they can't develop the gift of gab. And by the way, you shouldn't. The goal isn't to become more extroverted. I mean, some might say extroverts need to learn how to be a little bit more empathetic and a little bit better at listening. The Hello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially in leadership roles, right? And I think especially when you're looking at planning and preparation, introverts have that in spades, so they make great leaders, but they know they can learn these skills. Introverts believe they can't, and that's where I think my decisive decision was. I took responsibility, and I said, what if there was another way? Like that Henry Ford statement, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. And I decided that sales had to be a system, and I went to work learning it. And I, funnily enough, at that time, YouTube was becoming popular, and I just typed in sales system like I was the first person to have that original idea. (laughs) And all these videos came up. And by the way, what I'm about to share does not sound fun. And I'm pre-warning everybody. You do, I'm not suggesting you do this. Remember, I was a 19-year-old kid. I had no kids. I had nothing else to do except to go out and party with my friends that were all having a wonderful time at that point. But I spent eight hours in the field applying what I learned. And then I would rush home and I'd spend eight hours practicing the next step or perfecting the step I had. Weekends, I'd spend 16 hours practicing. But I got better quick. I mean, soon it was 71 doors, then it was 46, then it was 28, then it was 19, then it was seven. I eventually got it down to making a sale every three doors. This is an introverted kid that struggled to talk. About six weeks in, my manager pulled me aside and I thought I was getting fired. Like he had this puzzled look on his face. (laughs) I mean, I was the quiet guy that handed in my paperwork downstairs to the administrative people talk to anyone upstairs. They were all talking about how tough the market was or how they locked in that deal. I was the guy sitting in the corner. And he said, Matt, we're kind of blown away by this. We just got our national sales figures, which back then only came out once a month. And he's like, you're the number one salesperson in the company. Woo, shut the door. This was the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. And he's like, you can sell. And I went, well, I've been working on it. He's like, I think you can manage too. I don't know why people think that. Just because you have one skill set, they put you in management. I mean, I see so many people in the tech space, by the way, the finance space, they're like, you're great at your job, let's promote you, but they've got no soft skills. And so they're like, I'm like, I I don't know how to manage. And they're like, no worries, we'll give you 20 people. It's mud up against the wall, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. Well, everyone quit. My whole team, if you want to hear something, a demoralizing story, everybody quit within 24 hours. So here I was back on YouTube, (laughs) watching videos to manage. I got pretty good at it. To make a long story short, seven times I got promoted in 12 months. Then I started my own business. Of course, the first one was in telecommunications because that's all I knew. But 
Fast forward just shy of a decade, I'd been responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. But forget about sales for a sec. I mean, sure, you could say that I went from scared to sell to teaching, well, I guess you could say hundreds of thousands now through the Introvert's Edge book series. But more than that, I think it was that I learned that every skill can be learned and mastered, everything. And that the only thing that stops a person is their belief that it's not possible. And I would bring it down to a few things. Take responsibility, live in what-if thinking, and then get out of your own way and be willing to do the work. Because I think, especially the introverts listening, we totally get in our own way by believing that success isn't possible for us because we're different. We're not second-class citizens. Path to success is just different. And when we embrace that and realize that actually a lot of those skill sets that we do have, when leveraging a system that allows us to lean into it, allows us to be better networkers, better salespeople, better leaders, better visionaries, better business owners. The problem is we're sitting there saying, oh, but I can't, oh, but I can't. And for the extroverts listening, by the way, if you want to be a better leader, learn how to manage your introverts. If you have no clue how to manage your introverts, good luck getting past middle management. Exactly. So I'm just going to sum up what Matthew just told us, that introverts are just better human beings, I think. That was kind (laughs) of the uh, sum of it. Just kidding. Just kidding, everyone. Don't get all, don't sue me. But yes, introverts, we do have advantages because we think and we analyze and we prepare and all of those things can be used to your advantage. Of course, Nobody wants a dinner party of pure introverts. I mean, that might not be, especially if there's no money to be made and they're all tired, might not be too interesting. Although you can be a very interesting dinner party guest also. So I just want to call out a couple of things that you said that every skill can be learned and mastered. So identifying what skill you want to work on would be important. But early on, you said something about adversity. Do you have that in mind? Like something that you say about how adversity helps us? Yeah, sure. So I'm always telling people adversity seeds the success of our future. Oh, seeds the success of our future. And you know, it's interesting to to go to that point. I have a podcast called The Introvert's Edge, and I interviewed Dory Clark on that. Mm -hmm. And she's an extreme introvert. She just so happens to also be one of the most well-known leaders on the planet for leadership ideology. And she said, I hated going to dinner parties. So what I did is I started running my own. But when I ran my own, what I would do is I would let people know who was coming in advance and who I thought that they should talk to and why. She said, with a little bit of planning, my dinner parties were amazing. She said, people came with plans to catch up with specific people and have dialogues. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that because I see people all the time with no plans. They just go to networking events. Oh, I'm trying to network with who? Right, right. And it's so random. And then you get stuck talking to somebody who's telling you about some random thing that's not interesting to you. And then you leave or maybe you meet some people, but it would just be a much better use of your time. Also, there's always that chance that you meet someone that much to your surprise is fascinating and you become best friends. But if you know who's coming, I love that, though, about applying this to the dinner party since the social season is approaching letting people know who is coming. And, and and I think for the introvert, once we have something to plan around, we're much better at functioning in a social situation. Let me help for a lot of the people that are listening, especially for those people that are hoping to get a promotion next year. I hear people say all the time, the one thing that they struggle with is they don't know the people 
that are going to help them get into those special rooms, whether they're steering committees. By the way, I actually interviewed on the Introverts Ed podcast recently someone from American Heart Foundation that actually created an introvert support group. And that's led to a whole bunch of promotions, which I was blown away with because one of my secret underlying plans of coming on interviews like this, Laura, by the way, is people like yourself going, I'm an introvert, I'm a proud introvert, and I'm happy. But the thing that I will say is I remember speaking at Intel and their internal joke is that you know, you can tell the one extrovert in the room because it's the one person not looking at the other person's shoes, right? And that's right. <laughs> jokes. I mean, just because I'm an introvert doesn't mean I can't network sell. And I have struggled a lot with eye contact, but I've focused on learning that skill. And it's been something that's been really instrumental in, I always find networking, it's not about me. It's about making the other person feel that I care. Because even though I do, if they don't feel it, what's the point? So it's so important. But I remember speaking at Intel and I had this guy afterwards and it's the first time I've ever stayed at an A-loft. And they put me up at the A-loft and I found out they don't do room service. So here I am after finishing a speech and I'm staying in the same hotel as everyone else. And me as an introvert, I want to go back to my room. Like I can go and I can go to multiple presentations. But when I sit down, it's like I've been skydiving. I'm exhausted. Right, right, right. So I go downstairs. I'm like, okay, I've got to get room service. And I run into somebody, of course, that saw me at the event. And they asked me a couple of questions. Next thing I know, we've spoken for half an hour. And he said, Matt, I loved talking to you because I resonated with so much from your story. And I just feel there's so many questions I can ask. And then he told me what his problem was. And this is what I mean about these stories we tell ourselves. He said, the problem with events like this is I come and all the leaders there, I don't know anything about them. It's surprised me how often people come from all over the world and only hang out with the people they know. Like a lot of times I'll get people to all stand up and I was like, get out of your comfort zone, go and sit next to someone you don't know. And let's work on your stories or let's work on your event. Cause networking events or conferences are about bringing people together. And I said, I'm confused though. You said you have nothing to talk to these people about because you don't know them. From what I know about Intel, you're considered a newbie if you haven't been there for 20 years. So if I was to take a step back, I would imagine for a second that this conference you have been to for at least four or five years and a lot of the people coming to it are the same people. Like this was the global leaders, top 100 global leaders from the sales and marketing world. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, but I don't know them. I'm like, is there not like an invite list or an agenda, like a group right. of people? He's like, yeah, but I don't know anything about them. I'm like, there's this great tool, LinkedIn. Like, go profile shopping. So all I did is I said, pull out the list next year, go and search every single one of them. And by the way, I know that sounds like a lot of work, but it's also a lot of work and a lot of anxiety going to an event, not knowing anybody, and a total waste of your time. So what I do is I look through all the positions if the spreadsheet has that, and a lot of times it does, or the app does. And I say, well, that person looks interesting. That person looks interesting. And I look at their LinkedIn profile and I say, that person I want to speak to. So I send a connection request and say something to do with something that they've posted or something that they're interested in saying, oh, I noticed this on your profile and I saw you were coming to the event. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Now, you're going to an event with a bunch of pre-planned meetings as opposed to somebody notices me. Right. And it's putting so much pressure on yourself psychologically. Of course, you're going to be like needing an ambulance at the end of the day if you're going there hoping people will notice you. Because I can tell you they're not going to notice you unless you go naked or something. And I don't <laughs> recommend that. That's not how you get noticed. So yeah, go with the plan, study. And if you're an introvert, you love to prepare for heaven's sake. So 
Matthew's telling you how to prepare. Look and see who's coming. The same, same with the dinner party. And one of my favorite introverts is Jen Fulweiler. She's a comedian out of Austin, Texas. And she said, as an introvert, I love socializing the way a NASA team loves preparing for launch. I mean, lots of planning, but then that gives us, we need direction, what to say and who to talk to. And I have a little sound effect here. That means uh, something extremely important here. This is a tip I've never heard before, but before a conference, you get the list of people who's coming, look them up on LinkedIn and message them and see if you can set up a meeting with them. And like Matthew just said, instead of just going to this event, you have things scheduled and you may miss a talk or two, but you can only take in so much information anyway, but just that's a total, total edge. Speaking of conferences and careers, What about the economy? Like I hear a lot of people like in 2021, there was a lot of more people that were like aggressively going for promotions and even job changes. And among my clients, some of you who are listening, you know, I'm talking about you. They are a little bit hesitant. They're just like hunkering down because they don't want to lose their jobs because they perceive that it's not a good job market. And I'm not saying you're going to get fired, but I don't think that you should be so afraid of the economy. What is your take? I think that those that hunker down are much more likely to lose their jobs in this economy. I oh, think. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Let me repeat that. Those who hunker down are more likely to lose your jobs in this economy. Hello. Here's the thing. I mean, so I tend to run my life by one rule. It's not about me. And when I live my life by that rule, I find opportunities come even in uncertain times. As a matter of fact, I have a presentation that I literally do for corporations called Rapid Growth in the Face of Uncertainty. And it's all about understanding. It's not about you. If it's a corporation, it's not about you. If you're a small business owner, it's not about you. If you're a leader, it's not about you. Now, I can bring this together with networking just so you understand. The people that go to networking events that connect with somebody because they want to share why they're amazing to get a job, Mm -hmm. that's not going to go so well. For those people that want to hunker down, tell me that's not about you. It's about safety. It's about security. And I get that. Scarcity mentality, hunker down, hopefully nobody notices. Well, that also means no one's going to notice and say, no, don't fire that person. Let's fire that one instead because I haven't heard them pop their head up in the last 12 months. So you can't make it about you and both hunkering down and talking about yourself and self-promotion makes it about you. I interviewed Don Miller on the Introverts Edge podcast, and we were talking about, and you see this happen with small business owners, introverts don't want to make it about themselves, right? They don't like self-promotion. When they're selling, the stories are all about how amazing they are. And it's like, (laughs) why? If you don't make it about you, first thing is they don't want to tell any stories because they're like, oh, I don't want to brag about myself. So all they do is they throw a fire hose of jargon at you. Or facts data point. Nobody listens. No one remembers, especially. I mean, statistically, people remember up to 22 times more information when it's embedded into a story. So if you're a leader and wanting to be a visionary, from what I've heard, it's kind of important that people actually remember what you said when they leave. So story as opposed to jargon, but the stories are not about you. And what's interesting is we see this happen, especially in the world of small business sales, that they make it all about them because they're looking for reinforcement. They're scared. Well, in tough times, you see the same behavior exhibited by leaders where they start bragging with a whole bunch of jargon about how amazing they are as a fire hose of information 
which is insulting to the person hearing it. And they're like, yes, that person's on the chopping block. So I get why you're hiding away, but also you don't want to tell these stories because you feel like it's like testimonials. Here's what I would suggest. What you all need to realize is that the people that will last the test of time and the people that will get promoted even more during good times are the people that can answer these two questions. I am passionate about this and I'm on a mission to do this. It is that simple. Funnily enough, I had a tango teacher. She had worked in her own business for over a decade and she'd struggled to make like $60,000. She comes to me, she's like, I just want to enter the job market. And this is around these tough times. And she said, I've applied for so many jobs. I've been working my own business for a decade. And even though the studies, and I read a whole bunch of studies that said, I'm actually more employable because I've run my own business. No one will hire me. And then I said, let's do a couple of example interview questions. And all the questions were about her resume or why she was amazing for the job. And I said, look, let's reposition this for a second. Let me ask you, what type of industries and what type of difference do you want to make? I would be passionate about. And she's like, I need a job anywhere, right? And she's trying to get like a six-figure job because she's tired of hustling. And I said, yeah, yeah, forget about that for a second. Imagine you could get your dream job. What would it be? Now, by the way, in small business, we call this niching. I don't understand why career professionals don't do this. It blows me away. But I said, what is your ideal industry? And she said, well, I, I mean, if I have to choose, I love education, right? Ed tech is like my number one space. I said, well, then stop applying for jobs everywhere else. And then if you were to think about ed tech, what are some of the problems they have that you would care about solving? And she said, well, I see a lot of organizations buy education technology software, and then they never use it. Like they try and get their staff to use it, but they don't onboard it uh, properly. And so therefore, a lot of these ed tech companies make great money about you know getting clients and a lot of times they burn those clients within 12 months because they don't use it. And they're like, well, no one used it, so we're not keeping it. She said, so I just believe that if they did use it, then they would be more likely to continue paying their membership. Seems like a no-brainer, yet no one's doing this. And I said, well, your background's marketing. Do you think that you could help market, instead of marketing to get new clients, market to retain the current ones and use success stories to then bring in new clients? We created this entire strategy for how ed tech companies could utilize this. And she started applying for jobs in the ed tech space and started sharing about how she was passionate about using marketing for pre-existing customers to get new customers and drive up retention. And we called her the retention renegade. We actually developed a name for her. And she went out and applied for jobs. She got three job offers within the space of, it was like three weeks. And the job she took was in an ed tech company. She gets paid $180,000 now. And they created a job for her. And I have seen this happen over and over again. I mean, these are people that aren't even in the organization. It's a lot easier if you're a middle management and you speak to people and stakeholders and say, we need to be considering this. We need to do this. You're in customer service. Talk about your passion and mission to change something and you will get promoted because in uncertain times, those that care to make a change that benefits the organization get promoted, get pay rises, get bonuses. Everyone else gets the chopping block or <laughs> nothing. And neither right. of those are positive things. That's so true. And what I love about that, it's the marketing mindset of a small business owner where your literal paycheck depends on your ability to get customers. So you really learn whatever your craft is, whether it's communication, coaching, or fixing shoes, 
or tech consulting, you have to have customers that so you have to develop that additional skill set. And it's the same thing, though, in corporate. If you want to have an, a career that's extraordinary and recession proof, and I love that this lady presented herself as the retention renegade. She was positioning herself in a way as a consultant, as an external consultant, but they didn't have to pay the external consulting fees and they had full control over her because she was an internal consultant. And I think that's that mindset of how can I help is also like if I were a consultant, what would I be suggesting, right? Well, think about it from the perspective. You know, it's funny. When I first started, I was like, I only help small business owners, right? And the reason for that was because I was like, well, when you have a small business, you can take them from pretty much making no money. I mean, you can create, I've learned you can create rapid growth about out of anything. And the truth is there's nothing worse than a rapid growth business with customers you can't stand. The same with a career. There are so many people that have jobs they hate with bosses they can't stand. And what I've learned is that when you help people realize that they can position themselves just like a small business can, then they're like, oh, and you think like a $10,000 pay rise, that's something you get every year. Or right. in her case, that was 180000 she got. I mean, that was money in the bank every single year. I've worked with a guy who literally said, no one's going to give me, you know, they just see me as a marketer. And that's the difference. If you say, I am a marketing person, what you've just said is, I'm just like everyone else. And that's fine for low-level jobs. And it's fine even for middle management. Don't get me wrong. You can push yourself with a lot of self-promotion and a lot of energy into middle-level jobs just by being better than everyone else. But the truth is, the difference between somebody else at middle management and you to get to those higher-level jobs where the money is crisp, let's put it that way, the difference is... Not much if you're putting yourself in this box of I'm just like everyone else. It's like crabs in a bucket, right? You have to look at what are your unique qualities. And usually that's where your passion is. For instance, there was this guy that when I looked at him, he'd worked for a large bank and he was on a plane like 200 and something days a year. He had just wow. had a horrible life. And he said, like, the problem is that he works for this bank that they're very conservative. They don't want to try new things. And all of what they do is very it's, let's just face it, it's boring. Right. And the thing that he found is he liked trying, he liked working and he actually thought he wanted to start his own business. He didn't really. He just wanted to try his hand at lots of different things. So I said, you don't want to go and work for somebody. You don't want to go and start your own business. You want to work for a company that has lots of different business units. And what he was really passionate about was helping organizations grow through the concept of customer centricity. And what we realized is that customer centricity created velocity like nothing else. So we positioned him as the velocity architect. We got him to go for interviews. And he went only for interviews with companies that had multiple business units. And he went for an interview for, you know, it was a six-figure job, but he went for an interview as the velocity architect. And the interviewer said, look, I think you're overqualified for this job. I want to introduce you to my boss, though. And then he ended up getting a job that was paid a six-figure price tag above the job he was applying for, and they created a job for him. But just so you know, you don't need to leave your jobs for this. Like I worked with someone at IBM who didn't want to leave her job. She loved her job. She was the classic – this is tough to say, but she felt that when somebody questioned her, they were aggressively interrogating her. So she right, got, that she was on trial. <laughs> and these are skills that, if, by the way, anyone that has this issue, it's not a bad thing. You can learn how to do this. What happened is she pigeonholed herself as don't invite her into a meeting unless you really have to. 
Ooh, not a good reputation. <laughs> no, not a good reputation. But because she had grown to a point now, she felt like she deserved more opportunity, but no one would give it to her in her current organization. So we came up with this deal that she was going to apply for external jobs. And as long as she got one, and the rule we had is as long as they offered her more than $75,000, more than what she was currently getting paid, and she was on $250,000 a year, so she wasn't on a small amount of money, Right, right. she would have to accept the job if IBM didn't give her a pay rise and put her into a different position. So she went out and applied for all of these different jobs. And she got one based on having the right message and niching down and speaking, not making it about her, but her passion and mission for service. Then took it back to IBM and said, look, I don't want to leave. I love it here. But here's what I've been offered. They gave her a six-figure pay rise and put her in a global role because it forced them to see her in a different light. Now, for the people that are listening that have no interest in starting their own businesses or what you've got and, and no interest in potentially going to work somewhere else, what you have to understand, though, is when it comes from middle up, it's much more about branding than anything else. It's not what keeps you safe is being a marketer just like everyone else and fitting in. It's actually your differences. And by the way, if your differences do not suit the organization in today's highly contested environment, you can still get a a perfect job for yourself somewhere else. But I want you to know that if you say, I am passionate about this, I'm on a mission to do this, the only difference in my mind between a small business and a career professional is a few things. The first one is they have one customer, not several. And the truth is there's still multiple decision makers to get you the job that you want. And the second thing is branding on LinkedIn, branding on even your own website. It's what I call the middle path, right? Build a business around yourself for your one customer. Position yourself as that person that undoubtedly can move mountains as long as it's about this passion and this cause. Because if you focus on that, you are more likely to do it because you've got more energy for it because it's what you love. And because of that, they will put you in a position or a promise you somebody will headhunt you and they'll say, hey, this role was born for you. The only difference is that a customer website or a LinkedIn profile is like, book a call with me and I'll try and tell you something. Right. Nobody wants that. Here's what I'm passionate about. Here's the difference. Here's what you need to know. And then a headhunter or your boss or a steering committee calls you and says, hey, we need you on this committee because we've noticed. And it happens far quicker than you expect. Exactly. And I want to build on that because I know some of you are listening and you're thinking like, well, that's, I don't know what that special thing is, or my work should speak for myself. Like they're waiting for the committee of complete and actual greatness to tell them what they're really good at and what they're passionate about because they've seen them. And it's true. They say somebody's been at Google for eight years. They've seen, I get these great performance reviews. Why aren't they seeing this niche or this area that I'm passionate about? They telling me And no, they're not going to tell you. That's not their job. Their top 20 things, priorities, you're in best case 21. And that's on a good day. Like you said, it's not about you. The company is just thinking what is good for us. And so you listening, it's your job to identify what that thing is, is that that you're passionate about. And nobody is ever going to tell you that. Would you agree? Not only will no one tell you that, they also don't see what you can do uniquely for them is important until you position it the right way. And it's not their fault, I would no, say. Because no, no. firstly, they're hunkering down and worried about their right, job right. at the moment. So remember, it's not about you. They're worried about themselves. 
introverts especially, we have this huge amount of empathy, yet a lot of times we never empathize with our boss. The thing is that our bosses are worried about hitting KPIs. They're worried about succeeding. They're worried about so much. And yet a lot of the times they don't get any empathy from their team. Their team will see them as that horrible person that's not giving them opportunity. And then they haven't actually given them anything. I mean, yes, they work hard, they do their job, but that's an expectation of middle management. It's like in small business, people say, oh, but I provide great quality products and great customer service. That's like a barrier to entry. Like, who do you know that's going to say, hey, just so you know, I'd love to have you as a customer. We provide terrible customer service. And our product <laughs> but, you know, we, we need to get paid just like everybody else. Right? <laughs> Send your check today. <laughs> exactly. You're not, in, you're not in the lower level hierarchy. You're in middle management. Middle management, that's an expectation. That's barrier to entry, right? So you've got to stop saying, well, I should be noticed because I'm doing this. Middle management and above is I want to take this action that's going to benefit you, my boss, or you, my employer. And just so you know, you do not have a company that employs you. You have a series of people that have emotions and family lives that employ you. And a lot of people do not see that. And that is your fault. And let me say this very clearly. The fact that your boss does not see you as an advantage to them is your fault. You need to take responsibility for that, just like I had to take responsibility for learning sales. Because at the moment, all you're doing is working hard and doing what they ask you to do. And while that is great for lower level people, for middle and above, it's about you saying, I want to be responsible for this because I'm passionate about this. I'm on a mission to do this. And this is how it benefits the organization. Here's how it affects our ROI, whether it's retention, productivity, profitability, more sales, shorter sales cycles. And here is how it is going to impact everybody that it's going to touch in a positive way, including you. So right. don't worry, you won't have to stay on weekends to fix the mistakes that I've made. You'll be home earlier, you'll have less stress, and I'm going to help you hit your KPI. Most people come in and say, I need a promotion because I deserve it. Most people do not say, I need a promotion because I want to do this significant thing and I need you to create a job for me or I need you to map the way to make that possible because it's significant to you, it's significant to me, and it should be significant to the organization because, remember, you get paid. It's significant because it makes us money this way. Your very next one-on-one with your boss doesn't have to be you declaring that you want them to create a new job for you. Although you're certainly welcome to do that and we would love to hear about it. But I think if you start with that mindset, oh, I want, I want to make this recommendation. Oh, I want to make this other recommendation. Always backing it up, these things that are above and beyond your scope that you're seeing because you've been there so long and you have this unique set of experiences and skills that allow you to see things that others just don't see. Because I know some of the people are listening are like, well, Matthew, I'm not sure if this will work. I think it would work, but I'm not really sure. But go for it. Like try it or find some evidence or try it on a small scale experiment. But you've got to look for that path where you can create unique value to the company doing something that you're passionate about. So I would say a lot of people jump straight to the tactics and that's not yes. where the answer is, right, okay. right? So firstly, if you don't know what you're passionate about, you need to discover that. And then you need to say, what mission do I want to be on, right? If you don't know the answer to those questions, don't go and have a one-on-one with your boss because you're going to say, what do you think I should be passionate about? What's, what's practical? What's going to get me promoted? So 
what you have to understand is you need to take a step back and say, what am I personally passionate about? And what mission do I want to be on? And that could be everything from improving customer service experience to creating engaging stories to get the best talent. Discover what you're passionate about. Discover the mission that you're on. Then take a step back and say, how am I going to achieve this? Because your boss might not know. So you say, there's this steering committee, there's this group, there's these things. Now, I would then go into a meeting with my boss and say one of two things. I'm passionate about this and I'm on a mission to do this. I've decided that this is what I want to do and be the most impactful. You can either do one of two things. Say, I have no idea how to do that and I'm interested in what ideas you might have on how I can get learn more about this, be more involved in this with inside the organization that we have. Can I volunteer for a group? Can I spend a little bit of my job time with this functional group? Or I have some ideas and I was hoping that you could help map me a pathway to do this. If you, again, empathize with your boss and realize that if you go in and say, I want to do this and you better give me a pay rise and a new job, you just made it all about yourself. What you have to do is you have to make it all about the mission, the company, the organization, and empathize with your boss. If you give them a job, they're already busy and they're going to hunker down and be safe. But if you give them a way that they can brag about how they're mentoring team members to do these phenomenal things, you're keeping their job safe also. Oh, I love that. Gosh, Matthew, this has been so interesting and so inspiring, actually. So to wrap it up, since we're running out of time, is there something that I haven't asked you? You've written so many books and you deal with so many aspects, but all pushing people to be the best versions of themselves and to be more successful because you have the capability to do it. Why not? What would you like to tell the people that we haven't talked about or that you want to clarify and then how you would like people to get in touch with you or what you recommend for them as next steps? I think I would go back to the stories you tell yourself. I think introverts specifically, we kind of ruminate. We're overthinkers. Oh, yes. You can use that in a negative way or a positive way, right? So for me, like I'll give you an example. I spoke at an emerging leaders conference recently and a lot of what I do is sales kickoff events or, you know, global organization events. And when I do an emerging leaders, it's actually one of my most uncomfortable presentations, but makes one of the biggest differences because I'm sharing a lot more raw stuff about the barriers that I faced and how I overcame them, but how I made the pain worth the gain, how I got my psychology right. And because I don't deliver this presentation as much, it's easy to go back to the hotel room afterwards and beat yourself up about all the things you could have done better. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I get a lot of people afterwards, like, oh my gosh, that was the best presentation I've ever seen. It doesn't matter. It only matters to me if I was the right, best I could right. be. And introverts really do take that seriously. So the rule I've come up with is instead of deciding today what I could have done better, I don't think about it today because that's rumination. Tomorrow, I focus on continuous improvement because you've got to let your emotions dissipate. But if you were to come back to pre-planning, a lot of the times the stories that we tell ourselves get in the way. One girl worked for Apple and she's like, there's these big conferences that happen. Like they invite us all in for this event where people are going to talk about this one topic and we don't know what the speaker's talking about in advance. And so I always feel like I don't have a question. And if I don't ask a question, I'm not noticed. And I'm like, firstly, you're trying to ask a question to be noticed rather than to ask a question that would be helpful to everyone. So it sounds like you're making it about yourself. But secondly, this speaker 
has a LinkedIn profile, same again. Like, what are they posting about? Clearly, they're probably going to be talking about something that they're an expert in or something they're interested in right now, right? So then prepare a few questions and say, even if they're talking about something different, you say, I noticed that you talked about this and I really appreciate that. However, you've been posting about this or your experience is this and I've got this burning question. I hope you don't mind me asking. And all of a sudden, the answers come out and they're like, oh, thank you. And they'll riff on that for 20 minutes. It's their most favorite topic. Yet most people don't do that work because they're like, oh, I can't do this because the world's rigged against me. The truth is it's actually rigged in our favor as long as we don't listen to that part of our brain that says that we can't. Yeah, because that part of your brain is designed to keep you safe in the time of the dinosaurs when life or death was actually a, a daily, like, well, let's see if I make it till tomorrow. Well, it was helpful to have that voice of caution, but you don't need that today. Well, thank you so much. This has been so delightful and I've taken so many notes, just, you know, a page full of notes. And I know our listeners are all doing the same unless they're listening in the car. I think your website is your name, Matthew Pollard, and you're on LinkedIn. And if you are an introvert, you would definitely want to get a copy of his book called The Introvert's Edge, but he has other books also. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And everybody listening, I'll just say it right up front. You are welcome. I bring you the best. And I'll catch everyone on the next episode. 